0: You're listening to The Fret Files, the guitar workshop podcast with Eric Daw.
1: Indeed, welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files podcast, the guitar repair podcast, the guitar workshop podcast. My name is Eric Daw, the host of this lovely podcast.
2: And my name is Melissa Daw, the co-host of this podcast.
1: That's correct. Uh, you know, it's December. This is December 2016. This is episode number 30. Wow. Yeah, which is amazing. We've been doing this for
2: three years almost
1: 3 years so apparently we were doing about 10 episodes a year
2: sorry everybody
1: well that's all right you know we've been real consistent lately one a month but uh it's december and you know christmas always makes me nostalgic and especially when i think about guitars you know if you played guitar when you were a kid you, there there was just this magic of, uh, or at least there was for me. I'm sure many of you experienced this. You know your favorite musicians, your favorite guitar players. You saw their guitars, and uh, for me, a lot of those guitars were not, you know, available for me to see in person. I mean, I would see uh, the Beatles holding strange guitars that I'd never even. I didn't. I didn't even know what a Rickenbacker or a Gretsch was. I'd never seen one when I was eight years old. And so I would just, you know, pour over these pictures and try to read the names on the headstock, you know. And then I would try to draw the logos and I'd draw the guitars. And, and, uh, the same thing happened for me, um, uh, at, around Christmas time. I It was always, you know, okay, I want guitars. I want, I want a new amp. I want a guitar. And, uh, the go to place for me was the Sears catalog, believe it or not. Nice. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of listeners had the same experience if you're my age, which is, you know, getting up there a little. Uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, really, there were music stores in my hometown, but uh, apparently, I, I don't know if this was just because of my parents or what, um, the right place to get a guitar was at, at the hardware store or the department store. And it's because they were cheap. They were more affordable, you know. Sure. And they were actually cool. They had cool guitars. I mean, Sears sold Silvertone guitars.
2: Yeah, we have a couple hanging in our house right now.
1: And they would be made by different companies over the years. Uh, Supro made Silvertones for a while. Dan Electro made Silvertones. You know, you they, they were... Back in the day they were American made they were they were decent quality especially for a beginner by the time I was looking at the Sears catalogs they were all Asian made but still they were cool you know anyway I found I went online and I found some old pictures of some old Sears catalog you know the music section would have a few drum sets and a few guitars and maybe a uh, uh, you know some basses some microphones, you know, and man, I just used to love looking at those. I mean, heck with the toys, you know, I went right for the guitars. Anyway, I'm going to post a, a few of those images on the, uh, as the image for this episode, uh, over there at fretfiles.com. Sweet. Yeah. The Sears catalog. And that was, you know, it, you have to realize this was before the internet. I mean, now before I'm sure... Before
2: the internet? Yeah,
1: right. Can you imagine such a time? Do you remember before the internet?
2: Uh, Yeah, when I was really little.
1: Yeah. You don't want to give away your age. But uh, I remember most of my life being before the internet. At least it seems like that to me. I guess it's because I really didn't... Even when the internet came along, I didn't jump on the bandwagon. But, um, you know... This was the days before the internet, and I lived in a small farm town, and I, you know, guitars were just, like, I mean, I might as well have been, I might as well, oh, we're running out of battery on the,
2: uh, raggy.
1: on the laptop. I might as well have been looking for plutonium. I mean, you know, guitars. Where are you going to get a guitar mm-hmm. on the farm? <laughs> so enjoy the pictures of, of the Sears catalog. I'm going to put them on the uh, fret. F- Fret Files Facebook page too. Sweet. How's that for alliteration? The Fret Files Facebook page.
2: Facebook face.
1: And uh, I'll I'll put those on I'll put those catalog images up there. So check us out. If you're not if you don't follow us on Facebook, you should. I I post interesting things from time to time. Indeed. So uh, y- you remember last w- month what we did, right?
2: Uh, vaguely.
1: Well, I you weren't here but I, after you were done with your segment of the podcast I did the uh the pickup shootout. Oh yeah. The Dan Electro style.
2: Yeah, I wasn't here for that.
1: But you listened to it, right?
2: Uh yes, I did.
1: It was really cool and I got a lot of good feedback about it. Um do you want to read some of the comments I got? Sure.
2: <clears throat> this one this first one is good. Uh The Neptune sounded best for my ears. And that's from John Desportis disports
1: it's probably deport i got a lot of feedback from people <laughs> saying the neptune sounded the best
2: good for the neptune
1: you know they sounded they all sounded so similar yeah but there were subtle differences and the neptune did sound great anyway uh, any more comments yeah. there yeah
2: here there's a few more there was something about the asian pickup that i liked it seemed to have more chime than pick up one or pickup three, or maybe less boominess. Admittedly, I listen in a Jeep with a sub on my commute home to the sticks, but that's how I listen to everything. I like the neptone for the same reason, but it sounded more balanced than the Asian one. When I re-listened through headphones at home, it didn't change my overall impression much, but there was a, a bit less boom across the board. Man, the neptone really does sound bitchin'. I think I need to get a convertible, too. Mike Swizzler.
1: That's from Mike. Apparently, he doesn't like his Jeep. He wants a convertible. That's.
2: I. It took me a minute to realize yeah. that he meant a convertible guitar.
1: Right. The Dan Electro convertible is what he's talking about.
2: But I thought the same thing because he was talking about his Jeep just then. I know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was funny.
2: Uh, okay. Next one. Great show, as always. I'd love to hear the same lipstick pickup comparison done with a bass, but that would probably be a pain in the rear end to do.
1: Yeah, maybe later.
2: <laughs> for my most recent Frank and Dano bass project, I shopped around eBay and Reverb for just the right pickups, not too expensive and with just the right resistance. Then I got sidetracked and didn't build it for a year and lost track of what kind of pickups they are. They have no markings, which and which one was meant to be the bridge pickup but it sounds nice, whatever it is. In your shootout, I didn't like the Asian one so much, although it wasn't horrible, but the others sounded good. Maybe I preferred the vintage Dano, but it's possible that the sound was influenced by how you played with it, since you knew what it was when you were playing. There are so many variable variables involved, and one of them is human psychology and its influence of one's performance. And that's from John McGravy.
1: Yeah. You know, I thought about that when I was doing it. I thought I wonder if I'm I'm playing these all the same. I really tried to play the same for yeah. every pickup. I really did try. And I tried not to let my innate um, you know, biases show through. I, I really t- I tried not to have any. You know, I just wanted to know which one sounded the best or, you know, how they all sounded different. I didn't expect them to sound um that much different, but I was really surprised at how similar they all sounded. They really all did sound similar, yeah. and as far as which one was my favorite, I just thought they all sounded great that's my that's my final opinion on it. I really did I thought they all sounded great. I would use any one of those pickups um I do like u s a made ones right you know I just that's just a bias I have right, well, yeah, what are you gonna do? And uh, the vintage ones are kind of pricey, and the Neptune really sounded great to my ears. Uh, I'd probably, you know, if I were going to put pickups in a in a in a guitar that I needed lipstick to pickups, that's probably what I would do. Doug Tollek's Neptune pickups. Cool. Yeah.
2: Okay, we've got one last uh, feedback, um, and this is from a really brilliant and and beautiful young woman that oh. we know personally. Yes. Uh, it says. All those pickups sound exactly the same, and that's from Melissa Daw. Yeah, <laughs>
1: sorry, I threw that in there. I just thought that was funny when you. I think she emailed me or texted me when when she listened to the podcast. All those pickups sound exactly the same.
2: They, I couldn't. It, it was like listen to it, the same bell getting rung six times over. Like, <laughs> that's said. that's the same.
1: They did sound really similar. I'm telling you.
2: And I mean, I don't have any sort of ear for. For music or pitch or tone or whatever, but I had, yeah, it all sounded the same yeah, to me.
1: No, I get it. They sounded similar for sure.
2: Should we get started on some questions? Yeah,
1: what we're going to do is take a call, actually. Oh, we okay. have one call and we're going to take that right now. Hey, Eric. This is truck driver Ken Holland with a simple question. This month. I was curious if you've ever. If you've ever done a um,
0: pinup P bass, and if you've ever
1: considered it, if you hadn't, because I'd be really curious to see that, how that feel and sound. So that's my question. Thanks for calling. I uh, I never have. I never have built a bass, a pinup bass. Um, I'd like to, and uh, I'm not ruling it out. I, I probably will get to that someday. Um, Man, I'm really scrambling to make guitars. I thought for sure I would reach guitar number 100 this year, but I just finished guitar number 98.
2: Just two off?
1: Yeah, almost. Um, My last guitars, the guitars that are available right now, uh, there's a blue Strat style. I don't make Strats. Only Fender makes Strats, but it's the S style, right? It's the shape of a Strat. Right. It's uh, Daphne Blue and uh also a T style you know what that means right uh
2: telecaster style, style?
1: right it's, it's not, not a not telecaster it's not a telecaster right? <laughs> uh yeah i've got a butterscotch tele style and a daphne blue strat style available right now at least as of the airing of this podcast the the, the strat one is tentatively spoken for
2: so, you better hurry. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, if you want it. Uh, yeah. You can see those guitars at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's, of course, the guitars that I make. Shall we take some questions? All right. Let's do it.
0: We get we get stacks and stacks
2: of Eric and Melissa, I'm reasonably comfortable with the impact of wire gauge, coil tension, inductance, potting. Alnico strength and resistance on pickup tone, but I'm interested in hearing more about altering the charge of a given pickup. I'd love to hear your thoughts on degaussing Alnico pickup magnets to age them or modify the tone. Some people suggest that vintage pickup tone can be, at least in part, attributed to Alnico magnets that have weakened over time. Do you ever degauss your custom wound pickups? Is this a secret that custom winders don't talk about? Or is this just more vintage tone mythology? Thank you both for putting so much energy into such a fun and informative podcast. Love it. That's from Daniel Petru, Petzelka.
1: Petrazelka. Daniel, thank you for the question. I uh actually thought a lot about this and I've read about it. Uh, you know alnico is considered a permanent magnet and right when it's freshly made uh alnico cons- consists mostly of aluminum nickel and cobalt cobalt but there are several other metals in there copper and and magnesium i think and a lot of a lot of things but aluminum nickel and cobalt that that's mostly what's in there and uh they cook that all up and then they cast those magnets and then they charge the magnets. Um, and then it's considered a permanent magnet. And what from what I've read about permanent magnets like Alnico is that they lose 1.2% of their magnetic charge over the first year and then 0.2% over the next one thousand years, oh, that's what I've read.
2: So one point four percent since the fifties.
1: So what. not much, yeah. The very most. Wow. Uh, I don't. I think it's a myth that they that they degauss over time on their own, uh, unless they come in close contact with another strong magnet that affects their charge um but as long as they don't experience that i i really don't think that they i really don't think that they lose that much strength over time just a tiny bit really an insignificant amount um it's definitely possible that uh the technique that they used at different uh at different times uh didn't fully charge the alnico and that's certainly possible yeah you know you can measure the the gauss of a of a pickup, they have Gauss meters, of a, of a magnet. You can measure the, uh, right, the magnetic properties of it. Um, so that's my belief. I could be wrong. I'm not a, a metallurgist, <laughs> or An what? A, I don't even know what, what profession that would be. That's just what I've read. Um, on the internet. No, I read that so in, a, in a true. book about pickups. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. To my ears, pickups sound better the 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 stronger you charge the magnets. Um, when I first started making pickups, my um my little setup for charging the Elnico wasn't that great it was it, it worked it was fine but i noticed that once i beefed up my uh process and got a better charge on the Elnico that to my ears the pickup sounded way better so i like a full charge as full as i can get on the Elnico i want a strong magnet in there sweet that's to my ears that's what i that's what i think um it it, it is interesting you can buy like, for example, Dan Electro. They sell two different versions of their lipstick tube pickup. One that's presumably full-strength magnet, and then one that is... they, It's it's a slightly degaussed. Interesting. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Yeah, and so it is kind of some tone mythology about it, but that's what I've read. They, A permanent magnet will lose 1.2% of its charge over the first year, and then 0.2% over the next thousand years. So if that's true... And that's, it's just it's just a myth that Alnico loses its charge.
2: Hmm. Cool. Well, thanks, Daniel. Uh, what are your thoughts on Japanese-made Takamini? Is that how it is?
1: That is correct.
2: Takamini acoustic guitars. How do they compare in quality to USA-made guitars like Taylor or even a Martin? I have a newer model that I really enjoy. Second, does a cedar top guitar open up? With age like a spruce top? Thanks, Andrew in Memphis.
1: Cool, Andrew. Thank you for the questions. Does a cedar top guitar open up with age like a spruce top? I think that it depends on the guitar. It depends on the thickness of the top. It depends on what kind of paint they used. It depends on what uh, kind of uh, environment the guitar uh, lives in. It depends on how much it's played.
2: What what does he mean by open up? Does he mean like crack?
1: No, he means um, there's, there's another, uh, here's another, you know, is it myth or is it not myth? But older guitars, the older they get, presumably the more they kind of break in and, um, th- you know, the top vibrates when you pluck a string. Sure. And uh, presumably the older they get, the more you play them, a spruce top breaks in and it opens up
2: uh.
1: and sounds better you know is it true i, I guess and does <laughs> does cedar does cedar do it as well sure why not i mean really you know it's it's so subjective and i i get lost in these in in these kind of discussions because um how do we even measure this you know i mean if you think about it scientifically and how do how do we does it apply to every guitar and does it apply to right to guitars equally uh, you know it's just um it's really one of those quagmires that i try to stay away from i just don't know i just don't know i suppose it's possible he also asks my opinion on Takamini acoustic guitars they make nice guitars uh you get what you pay for i mean you know they're they're not as Expensive as some of the nicer made USA-made guitars. I like them. They, of course, they make lower end models and higher end models. I've seen a lot of nice Takamini guitars, uh, but I do have to say, I've never owned one. I don't currently own one. I'll probably never own one. Um, it's just not my thing. But they make great guitars. I'm glad you like yours.
2: Great. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. Long time, no question. Sorry, but I have been listening faithfully. Question for you about Polonia. Any experience or thoughts? A mate builds surfboards out of the stuff, and he's got enough for a couple telebody blanks. Almost Christmas in Australia here, getting pretty hot. Brown snakes in the backyard, school holidays starting next week, and the ocean is at 23 degrees. And that's Celsius, of oh, course. That's which warm? Cold, I have, yeah, cold, I have no idea warm, what that is in Fahrenheit. Hot, cold. Uh, hope you guys are well and happy. Cheers. Jim from the sunny coast of Australia.:
1: Thanks, Jim. I still don't get how it's hot at Christmas time. <laughs> it's like my mind just doesn't wrap around that. Um, Polonia, I've made two guitars out of Polonia. It's super lightweight stuff. Holy cow it's lighter than anything i've ever ever made guitars out of it's lighter than pine it's really porous it's uh it's
2: what is it is it wood
1: it's a wood yeah
2: i've never heard of it
1: uh i believe it's african in origin i don't know if it's like it it looked from the grain pattern looks like it's part of the mahogany family i don't know i honestly but i've made two guitars out of two solid body guitars out of Polonia and they were just so lightweight that they seemed hollow. I mean, they were, wow. Yeah. And that, you know, they sounded fine. They were nice. They're honestly, they were actually too lightweight for me. I like light guitars, but they were like featherweights, just silly light. And my problem with guitars, that light or with wood, that light and porous is that it's, um,
2: like a sponge.
1: Well, it, 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 uh, it it's not a very hard wood it's kind of a soft oh, wood.
2: Oh sure.
1: It's a, just a little tiny bit too soft for my tastes uh to be considered as a guitar wood but um I made two guitars out of it they they turned out great I just you know it's I'm sticking with with swamp ash that's my favorite. Cool. But yeah if you've got some spare make some guitars. <laughs>
2: All right, thanks Jim. And we'll we'll need more details about warm Christmases and what that's like.
1: And we also need more details on these guitars if you make them.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, but that's secondary. Right. <laughs> uh Eric and Melissa Disclaimer, this question is not about the tonal differences of hot hide glue versus PVA, so please don't toss it just yet. With your 20 plus years in guitar repair, I'm wondering if you've noticed a difference in longevity of hide glue acoustic guitars versus those made with PVA slash tight bond style glues. The theory is that hide glue is more repair friendly, but is also more prone to needing repair due to heat and humidity failure of glued braces and seams. I build with high glue primarily for a sense of tradition, but also with the idea that this will serve the guitar best long-term if or when repairs are needed. Crazy? Thanks to you and Melissa for putting out such a great podcast. It's rare to find people with the same passion for detail and craft in guitar repair and building, coupled with the same no BS aversion to hype slash snake oil slash hyperbole. I like,
1: I like hyperbole.
2: Yeah. I think hyperbole is the greatest.
1: Just please continue.
2: The first few times we spoke at Emerald City, I thought maybe you didn't like me, but I realized that you are just a very frank and honest person (laughs) with a depth of knowledge knowledge and experience that gives great weight to your opinion. I'm afraid
1: that a lot of people probably have that same experience.
2: That last paragraph describes your entire life Mm -hmm. to a T. You two are both straight shooters of the highest order, perfectly imperfect, like us all. And I love that you let that show and speak your mind on the podcast. It's a really sweet show you put together. If you don't mind, I'll keep throwing the questions your way for the show. Cheers, Daniel.
1: Right on. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. You know, the frankness of the show, I enjoy that too. I wouldn't do the show if I couldn't couldn't do it that way. Right. Unfortunately, it doesn't lend itself very well to advertisers, because <laughs> people don't know what I'm going to do. Right. I mean, I've certainly not been kind to most of the uh, major brands that we've discussed.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll have at to times figure something out eventually. I mean, like they're
1: going to advertise on my stupid little show anyway, but yeah, it would be nice. It's
2: not a stupid show. It's the best. And by the
1: way, if you have a product you'd like to advertise on the show. I'm all ears. Let's let's have a conversation about it. Sweet. Find me at ericdaw.com That's also the best way to submit a question for the uh, podcast. ericdaw.com. Click the contact link, send in your question or comment, and I'll use it as part of the show. Or you can call 757 774 8482. I'd really love if you, like Daniel, would participate in this show. Uh, Back to his question, he's talking hide glue versus tight bond style glues and not necessarily their tonal differences, but their longevity. Is that what he said? Yep. And I think it remains to be seen because hide glue, you know, that's the traditional glue that instrument makers have used f- for I don't know thousands of years and uh, tight bond has only been available I, at least as far as I know since about the 70s at least that's when builders started using it so a lot of problems that you see in guitars that uh, were built with hide glue um, you know they've there's guitars from the a long time ago that are still holding strong, you do see glue failure sometimes on a guitar once it reaches 50, 60 years old, maybe more. It certainly happens. Um, And tight bond, it just hasn't been around long enough uh, to really see glue failure, at least not that I'm aware of.
2: Is hide glue versus tight bond more flexible than the other, like in terms of wood shifting?
1: Yeah. Yeah, hide glue is—it um, dries glass hard. It's oh, almost really? crystalline. It's like, yeah, it's very hard. Tight bond dries hard, but it's still—it's like Elmer's glue. So even when it's even when it's dried, um, it just has just the slightest, tiniest bit of a rubberish quality. Huh? Just the tiniest bit.
2: It seems like that would be better for a wooden guitar but maybe I not.
1: I, I just don't know. I mean, the thing about it is um, now they're making, like, I, I have seen this. Like, some of the lower end Martins now, they don't have a dovetail joint. They have a mortise and tenon with a bolt. So, it's both glued in and bolted in. Some Some acoustic guitars now are made with a bolt on neck. They have... You know, it looks, from the outside, it looks like a normal acoustic guitar, but if you look in the sound hole towards the neck block, you'll see, well, usually there's a sticker covering the bolts, but underneath that sticker, there are bolts, and a lot of modern guitar manufacturers just use bolts and bolt-on their guitar neck, like Taylor. Martin, on some of their lower-end guitars, has adopted this, but rather than go full on, full bolt-on neck, They've kind of combined the two and they do a mortise and tenon with white glue I mean it doesn't look like tight bond, it looks like Elmer's, Elmer's glue. glue, wow, with a bolt, and I've seen a half a dozen of those or so f- fail and Interesting. those are pretty new guitars to be failing,
2: huh. but
1: that's but that's a high stress joint, yeah there. And because it doesn't have a flange, it's not a, it's not a dovetail. It's a straight ten- tenon. Right. Um,
2: it has the ability to move.
1: Yeah. And the bolt isn't enough uh, to, to keep it from, interest buckling under the uh, string tension. So, you know, there's different, there's different kinds of the, the PVA glue, polyvinyl acrylic, or whatever it's called. The tight bond is, is good stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's, it remains to be seen what its longevity is, but I think it's, it's obviously, you know, as good as, as hide glue. And as Daniel mentions here, that the great thing about hide glue is that new and old hide glue work very well together. Right. New and old tight bond don't work so well together at all. Right. If you're going to re-glue a joint that has been previously glued with tight bond, you really have to clean up all the old glue in order to get a proper uh bond there. And that's a real pain in the neck if it's something like a jagged, broken headstock joint that you can't really get in there and clean out and sand, you know?
2: Huh. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much. Shall we take a break? Yes. Let's. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com. And you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store. And that goes for all the folks, not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps.
1: You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed.
2: Thank you for saying that they're beautiful, and um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com, that's M-E-L-C-O, leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from
1: yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. MelcoLeather.com. Right? Right. Uh, As I make guitars, you know, we share a shop the backyard there as I'm making guitars she's sitting in the other corner making straps and I see her make these straps she's so meticulous and so gifted and thanks you're such a craftsman craftswoman you're such a crafty person (laughs) you're so crafty Uh, really high quality leather handmade leather guitar straps check them out melcoleather.com
0: Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them.
1: Pinupcustomguitars.com
0: It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two Pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars and that's what appeals to me.
1: PinupCustomGuitars.com
0: it makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own ten of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go,
1: Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. Pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinupcustomguitars.com. Speaking of pinup guitars, you know, I I hate to, th- I almost feel bad about throwing this in here, but this letter was so nice, I had to include this in tonight's show. Um, would would you would you like to read the following letter? If this is from, if this is an email I got from Ken Davis, and this is a guy that has bought two of my custom made guitars.
2: Hi Eric. Well, I have spent about a week playing my new guitar, both acoustically and through a variety of amps, with and without pedals. These four words perfectly sum up my experience. I am very impressed. The Strat style pinup guitar. Is amazing, and that's Antonia, and that's number 95. It has the same magic my Telly style pinup custom has, that's Evelyn, number 24. I really thought the Telly was an anomaly, and I love it so much that I was strongly considering getting another one instead of the Strat style. I am not disappointed. There is something about your guitars, and I haven't figured out what it is. The wood, the pickups, the setup, all of the above, whatever it is, they just feel right. There is a certain sweet tonal characteristic that is present in both styles. I don't have words to describe it, but I love it. Also, they both share a distinctive acoustic resonance that I can feel. and None of my other guitars have that life. They resonate much like a lively acoustic guitar. This is what I love so much about the Tele that, that I didn't want to lose by getting the Strat. It is there in the Strat, too. I am extremely delighted. Also, I tried it out on some high-gain amps just to see what it would do. I was pleasantly surprised with the outcome. Because of the vintage pickups, I was expecting a thin tone with a lot of squeal. Not so. I backed off about 25% on the tone knobs, and wow, thanks for another perfect guitar. I really don't know how to state how pleased I am with both of them. Thanks for all the time and effort you put into this guitar. Every detail is a work of art." After I've spent some more time with her, I will check back again with any new discoveries. Thank you. Ken Davis.
1: Wow. Ken, thank you so much. I I swear I did not make that up. That is a real email (laughs) from a real real guy who's bought two of my guitars. And uh, I just can't thank you enough, Ken, for buying some guitars from me and for the glowing review. I do appreciate it. Man, I really do appreciate that. I try not. Here's the deal. I do this show because it's fun. I do this show because I think that you guys are going to enjoy a lot of the things that we talk about. You'll maybe learn some things. You can participate in the show. I try not to, you know, toot my own horn about the guitars I make, but uh, I got to slip this in there, you know? Right. Again, I mean, I try not to, you know.
2: When you get such a glowing, well-written, I eloquent review. Th- I had to throw review. it in
1: there. Please forgive me. I had to throw it in there. Anyhow.
2: Okay, back to the questions. Hi guys, I read online that gold hardware can be changed to nickel by simply rubbing off the gold plating, revealing the nickel nickel plating underneath. Is this true? Will it look good or will it just look like somebody rubbed the gold off? Thanks, Curtis in Alaska.
1: Thanks, Curtis. He, he read online.
2: The internet.
1: So obviously it's real. Right. I mean, I found a website the other day that said we never went to the moon. Did you know that?
2: Well, that's obvious.
1: That was all staged by... Uh, uh, what, wasn't it Quaker? What's his name? Quaker? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs>
2: the oatmeal company? No,
1: I was thinking of the filmmaker that did uh, uh, oh, uh, Space Odyssey.
2: Yeah, what's his name?
1: Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Everybody's screaming at their speakers right now. Coppola? Yeah, please. <laughs> I There's websites out there that say, you know, baking soda cures uh, cancer.
2: So that's, well, that's, that's that actually could be true. Uh,
1: no, it is true, actually, that gold, the gold plating can be rubbed off in revealing nickel underneath for some reason. Uh, they have to nickel plate it before they gold plate it.
2: Well, probably just because the gold won't stick to steel? Well, I assume what, so. Deal?
1: I assume that that's the case. Um, and you can rub it off. It is pretty um, easy to polish off. And it's it's not as tough as the nickel, so the nickel doesn't polish off quite as easily. So you can polish off the gold, revealing nickel underneath. Here's the problem: so many parts have little dimples and uh, little tiny crevices that you really it's hard to do on, say, like a Grover Rotomatic tuner. If you've got nickel, or if you've got a if you've got a set of gold tuners and you want to try to rub the gold off, you're gonna have gold still all in the crevices if on the other hand you want to rub the gold plating off of a humbucker cover well that's going to be that's going to be pretty easy to do and you're going to have pretty good results so it depends on the piece and uh it depends on all the little details and and whether or not you'll be able to rub off the gold and make it look nice but yes it is true i've done it many times sweet yeah
2: thanks curtis Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. If- By the
1: way, can I say, the, reason, some of the one of the reasons I've done that is sometimes they'll offer a part in chrome or black or gold, and there's no nickel available.
0: Mm. And it
1: drives you nuts when you need a nickel, whatever it is you need, and they don't have one, well... You can get the gold one and rub off the gold plating if it's a part that lends itself well to that. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
2: Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. Sorry for
1: interrupting. Again? Please continue. Do you? I'm done. Are thank you, you done? Yes. Okay.
2: Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. If you were offered a free Plec machine, would you take it? Is your only opposition to the Plec machine the price? Do you think you'll ever own one of these beautiful machines? Thanks for your time, Kenny.
1: Do you Thanks, think Kenny.
2: Do you think he's offering you a free pleck machine? I don't
1: think he is. Uh he says is your only opposition to the pleck machine the price. I guess I've been harsh on pleck machines. I'm really not opposed to pleck machines. I I got to tell you. I'm really not opposed to them in any way. Um if someone offered me a free one, y- y- yeah, of course I would take it. Do then you... then i would sell it oh they're expensive
2: yeah but do you think that you doing it by hand does better work than a pleck machine no
1: i think level is level okay. and if 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 you can if you can do that by hand then great and if you want to do it with a pleck machine that's great too pleck machines cost a lot of money i think when they first came out they were well in six figures uh it's very hard to look up the price of a Pleck machine. I know because I tried online. That's weird. Yeah. They're made in Germany by some, I don't even know oh, the name of the company. And
2: you have to request a price?
1: Yeah, and it's probably in Deutschmarks, and then you got to get out your little orphan Annie decoder ring and try to figure <laughs> out what this, you know. Uh,
2: What's a Deutschmark? Okay. Uh,
1: isn't that isn't that the 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 currency in Germany? Are they I don't know. are they on the euro? now? I think
2: they're on the euro. Is it a Deutschmark? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm a derp. But would you use a plek machine? Anyhow,
1: uh, I might use it once or twice. I here's my opposition to the plek machine. It's really not that it, it it does a fantastic job. It's great. It's great, and it's really, um. An amazing piece of technology. Uh, Here's most of my what my experience has been with the pleck machine. I know a few shops who have them. These shops that have pleck machines, once they get a pleck machine, every guitar they see needs to be plecked.
2: Well, they got to pay for the pleck machine.
1: That's correct. It's it goes back to my whole everything is a scam philosophy. Sure, Pleck machines do a good job. But does your guitar really need to be run through this machine? Um, you know, and asking a shop that has a pleck machine if your guitar needs to be plecked is kinda like asking a dog if he's hungry. It's it's the answer's going to be yes. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No. Um So there's that, you know. I, I think a lot of guitars get plecked unnecessarily by shops who want to pay for their fancy machine, which is fine. That's great. Whatever. My other problem with the pleck machine is that there are companies now who advertise that their brand new guitars have already been plecked. And so when customers bring me their new... Guitars, I don't want to mention the name of any company, but their initials are Gibson. Uh, and they say, well, why does it need a setup? I was told the guitar's already been plucked. <laughs> well, <laughs> plucking the guitar doesn't mean it's been adjusted and set up. All that means is that a machine went through and leveled the frets. So the frets are level. But the truss rod, the action, the intonation, the nut, slot depths that all needs to be set and they don't really do that great of a job at the factory setting all those things. So, um just because it was plucked doesn't now mean that it's good to go f- for eternity. But it's been used kind of as an advertising gimmick thing.
2: Why would a brand new guitar oh, with fresh frets need to be plucked in the first place? That's case? my
1: question. The only obvious answer is that it's either a gimmick, an advertising gimmick, or that they no longer have the ability to properly install frets to, to where they're level when oh. they're done. That's,
2: uh, that's probably that's the case. That's not good.
1: I, You know, and brand new guitar shouldn't need to be plucked. That's my opinion. But a lot of guitar companies now advertise That they're plected at the factory, which, Hmm. why do you want your brand new guitar (sighs) plected? Whatever.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Kenny. Hi, Melissa and Eric. Happy holidays. Sometimes a particular value pot sounds better with one pickup than the other in a two pickup guitar. Have you experimented with putting a resistor in the circuit for one of the pickups to balance them a little better? Cheers, Scott from London
1: thanks Scott uh not to my memory personally, I don't think I've experimented with it, but I know that a, a few guitar companies do that they they have a little resistor there that goes from the the hot lug where the pickup connects to the pot and that and then the other leg of the uh, resistor goes to the goes to the back of the pot goes to ground so um it's certainly something that uh can be done uh uh, you know, yeah, it's it's certainly something that can be done, I, and I've seen it before. The first time I saw it, I thought, "What the heck is going on here? Why is there a resistor here?" But yeah, that can that can be done to kind of change the, you know, apparent uh, resistance in the pot, and it can attenuate the tone just slightly on a on a pickup. So yeah, it's a perfectly valid thing to do. Cool. Absolutely.
2: Thanks, Scott. <clears throat> I have a two-part question. I would it would be ideal if you could read and answer the questions one by one instead of reading them all at once. They kind of build on each other. The first question is, Eric, what kind of guitar work is your least favorite? Let it all out, man.
1: Really? Well, I I I, I guess I, I mean, I should I talk about this?
2: Uh, sure.
1: I do have an alphabetized list here in my pocket, actually, <laughs> that I carry with me at all times. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I actually really enjoy working on guitars. I really do. Um, the most frustration that I get really is, um, probably from people who expect things from their guitar that their guitar is not going to be able to do, uh, or working on really really cheap guitars and trying to get them to behave that that's mm-hmm. very frustrating. That can be frustrating, especially because you know there's there's really no <laughs> there's really no money in that and there's no upside to it, and it's hard to charge. You know if if you were to do all the work that a guitar like that needed, um, it would exceed the value of the guitar by threefold, so right. uh, it's really impossible. That that can get frustrating. Um I definitely I, I enjoy f- doing fret levels and I enjoy doing fret work, but my shoulder doesn't. I really do have shoulder pain and tendonitis in, in my hands and shoulders. So that's another complaint. But you know, I could I guess I could go on but Really, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. I enjoy what I do. I do. Okay. I really do.
2: Cool. Uh, the second question, Melissa. What kind of guitar work does Eric complain about most frequently? Um, the first thing that popped into my my mind was fret work. Not, I mean, he likes to do fret work, but it's he t- just talks about his shoulder hurts a lot. Yeah, and he also complains about people some sometimes, just some some people sometimes <laughs> not,
1: not anybody listening to this show right uh obviously. yeah
2: so i guess uh the answers to one and two are the same
1: they're pretty similar yeah you know the only time i really get irked is some people just don't have any sense of etiquette any sense of guitar store etiquette like people will come in occasionally this will happen people will come in and say uh hey man can i borrow a few tools i, I need to I need to adjust my guitar here. I'm going to I'm gonna do a setup on my guitar here. Like they're going to sit on the couch out in the acoustic room and set up their guitar.
2: Did, that's like going to the mechanic and being like, hey, I just need to fix my, my car. Do you mind? Let me right. use some of your tools. And- Can I
1: just pull up in the bay here and just change my own oil? Yeah, it's kind of rude. And I get that, you know, we try to be friendly. I say we, guitar stores try to be friendly, as friendly as possible. Uh, but man, yeah, there's there's certain etiquette that really, you know, don't don't ask guitar repair guys to borrow their tools. That's that's pretty rough, man. Yeah.
2: Sweet. Uh, it says keep up the good work, and I hope your kids are screwing up your lives in a good way. They are. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> They're rocking it. Oh yeah. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Although I don't work on my guitars on anything beyond regular maintenance stuff, I love your podcast from day one. Cool. Keep up the good work. So here is a basic question for you. I have a couple of steel-stringed acoustics with slotted headstocks, which look nice but are always a pain in the rear when it comes to changing strings. First, you need to get the strings to stick and put the right bends in them so you don't end up with too many windings and unstable tuning. Then, you're left with this long piece of excess string that is impossible to clip off short enough so that what remains does not stick out and scratch the lacquer on the headstock or stick in your finger. I've looked at YouTube videos, etc., and have got my process down pretty good by now. I just wanted to check with you if you have some kind of magic trick when you put on new strings with a slotted headstock guitar. Thanks for your thoughts, Axel. P.S. I absolutely loved your pickup shootout. This is the way it should be done. Same guitar, same electronics, same distance to strings. Nobody else goes through that trouble. You nailed it. Thank you.
1: Cool. Thanks, Axel. Thank you. Um, slotted headstocks. They are a pain in the neck to restring. I really don't have any tricks for you other than to say that it gets easier with time. Um, It's really just not any big deal to me anymore. Uh, The only time I really get frustrated is on those darn Rickenbackers with the slotted. The, they have Rickenbacker 12 strings have six tuners going this way and six tuners going that way. And then they're, they're slotted. The headstock is slotted, but the slots don't go all the way through the headstock. There's wood in the back. Oh. And restringing those tuners is. Y-y-y-y. That sounds like. That really sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just it's just not very workable.
2: Do you charge more to restring those guitars? I
1: definitely charge way more to
2: restring those <laughs> guitars.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they take longer, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. I, sorry, I don't have any magic tricks for restringing slotted headstocks. If anybody does, please submit it to the podcast. I'd love to hear your ideas. And uh, you know how to do that. EricDaw.com.
2: Cool. Thanks, Axel. I have a uh, 64 Gibson 330. I love Ooh, the p-
1: Cool guitar.
2: I love the p- P90s, but the hum is pretty bad. Would it be a good idea to run a ground wire to the metal pickup covers? Would that help reduce hum by effectively shielding those covers? Or would grounding them be bad? And why? Thanks so much, brother. You and your wife are awesome. Nick.
1: Cool. Thanks, Nick. Cool guitar, man. I love those 330s. Um, so he's got the P90s with the little, the chrome or nickel, uh, dog ear covers. Sure. And, uh, those should already be grounded. Because when they come in contact with the bass plate, so when, when you mount that pickup on the guitar, there's a screw that goes through the dog ear and then through the bass plate. The base plate kind of curves up and makes contact with the pickup cover. So when those, when when the base plate, which is grounded, makes contact with the cover, it should be grounding the cover. So running a ground wire is really superfluous. Is that the right word? Yeah, I think so. Unnecessary. It's already grounded. Um, if you wanted to double check that and make sure, what you could do would be to uh, check that with a volt ohm meter. You have one of those, don't you, Nick? That's really something that, you know, f- for just the amateur uh, guitar tinkerer, you really should get and learn how to use a volt meter. But there's a setting on there to check continuity if you're not familiar with how to use one, where you can touch any two points in your circuit, and if there's continuity, it goes
2: beep. So if it's grounded, you want... Continuity or no continuity, yeah.
1: so you would touch one probe to say the jack, which is the housing of the jack is ground, and then touch the other probe to the pickup cover and it would go beep, and that means it's grounded,
2: oh oh, yeah, that makes sense, okay, because the the mm-hmm. jack is grounded, then right, okay, yeah,
1: yeah, um, so they it should already be grounded and i i agree i know what you what you mean those p90s do have a wicked hum but boy the tone i mean really it, you know you just have to live with the hum
2: there's no way to lessen it easily
1: uh not without uh changing the pickups to something that cancels hum mm-hmm. uh, well there is and we've talked about this before on the podcast there is a way to modify one of the pickups so that you get a hum canceling sound in the middle position of the switch, oh yeah, so that both pickups work together in a way that cancels hum. But if you're a long time listener to the to the podcast, I'm sure you remember that. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Nick.
2: Hello, Eric and Melissa. I'm looking for a replacement gasket for one of those weird Supro fiberglass guitars. Cool. I have one of those. You know the gasket that sits between the two halves. I thought you might know where to find one if they are available. Thanks, Bob J.
1: Yeah those weren't available for a long time you couldn't find them it's a weirdest little rubber gasket that i mean it's i don't know what else they use it on maybe a kitchen table from the 50s or something i i don't even know but they are available now um guitarkitsusa.com has them they're 20 bucks 19.99 wow and it's enough to do one guitar
2: oh so it's it's not it's a circle it's like a length
1: it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a flexible rubber gasket. Right. Yeah. But it's enough to do one guitar, and it, it's only available in black. I think the vintage Supros either had black or white. I, I've seen them with white. Y- usually they were black, though. And so uh, they're available there, which is a bargain. I mean, 20 yeah. bucks. That's cheap. To bring back your old Supro. That's, yeah, it's cheap. Guitar kits, USA.com. And they sell... They sell full-on kits to build your own Resoglass Supero-style guitar. What? Yeah, it's really it's a cool website. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool website.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's neat. Well, that's all the questions. Mm.
1: Indeed, that's all the questions, and that does it for this episode, episode number thirty. We'll be back in January of two thousand seventeen for another fun-filled, fact-filled fret files podcast
2: on facebook
1: oh yeah i would really love it and i'm sure my wife would also love it as well would you love it
2: Uh, yeah whatever it is i'd love it if
1: the listeners if you you listening would participate in the show now i know you can just type your question into google and then go to some weird forum where you can read what some freak in his mother's basement wrote. <laughs> but wouldn't you rather submit your question to me, the seasoned professional in the guitar repair uh, uh, profession?
2: And he doesn't live in his mother's basement.
1: Not anymore. So uh, I'd love it if you'd participate in the show. Send your question in to ericdaw.com, ericda com. Click the contact link and then submit your question there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call in, leave a voicemail, 757-774-8482. You can also text that number, 757-774-8482. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa, for helping me do this podcast and doing such a great job co-hosting. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks to uh, our sponsors. Especially Emerald City Guitars had been so gracious. And also UFOship.com, Michael Van Dieven over at our uh, podcast network. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time.